What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. We are joined today by Chris Ferner. We got a great show lined up. We're going to recap a big week 14 in the NFL. Let's dive right into it, Chris. What are some of the biggest storylines? Well, first on the gambling front, the course correction is real. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, Warren. I went back and looked at the notes from the November 29th show, and we had chronicled how it was 60% in November were underdogs covering. It was an unbelievable month for the books. There were 23 outright upsets after at the beginning of the season, you could put all these favorites in teasers and there were like virtually no outright upsets. There was 23 in that month. And at that point, I had jotted down that underdogs had covered. It was 99, 77 and one. And it was the best pace since 1980, over 40 years. And I said, there's got to be some course correction in this. You know that at the end, it's not going to turn out to be that uneven. And then last week we had Arizona, the Colts, Dallas, the Rams, the Bucks. All those were big favorites. All of them covered. And then we come back this week and it's the favorites revenge. Because they're 11 and two against the spread yesterday. And I mean, overs hit at a, at a pretty big rate, too, if I'm not mistaken. But I just feel like, you know, we kind of saw this coming. The numbers were way too lopsided, Warren. This usually, it's not always just that down the middle 50 50 proposition, but it's usually reasonably close. And so, 
you're just figuring out, okay, if all of these dogs have covered at some point, the it's going to be the favorite's revenge. And to me, yesterday felt like that was the week. It kind of, you know, now, now it's going to be a lot more evened out. And so while underdogs had, had ruled the season, these last couple of weeks, these favorites have really popped. Well, you're right. And what we mentioned in that show, I guess it was last week, was the fact that you're going to have issues down the stretch run. It is a long season. You're going to have issues of motivated teams. Do you have, if you've got a big spread, is the favorite motivated enough to get that cover or are they just trying to get to the next week? And then are these dogs motivated? How motivated are some of these underdogs that you're going to see, like a team like the Jaguars, right? The Jaguars, defensively, these dudes are still fighting. They got a home game next week. These guys are still fighting. At some point, though, that defense is going to stop fighting. And then the Jaguars games are going to become even more lopsided, but they lost 20 to nothing. Obviously, the Titans covered that game. Um, one of the things that... Well, well Warren, their coaches are fighting, too. Well, yeah. I mean, the coaches... <laughs> it's, it's, the locker room is slowly imploding there, um, and you're, the offense has not been good all year. But what my, what my point is, eventually, the defense is probably going to stop balling out themselves. And then with an offense like they are and the defense not playing good, this thing's going to go nuts. Disgusting game up ahead. Texans versus Jaguars. Battle of the 2-11 and 11 teams. This is a battle for who is going to get the higher draft pick. Neither team should want to win this game. Urban Meyer seems like maybe he's got the better um, uh, career uh, comfort level with regard to being around for next year. So a higher pick would benefit him a little bit more. He should have the bigger picture in sight. But at the same time, you know, a win would go a long way to helping that locker room figure things out. And I would imagine a loss to the 2-11 and 11 Texans would be pretty devastating in terms of the journalists there locally in Jacksonville and nationwide. So I don't even want to talk about the game. It's disgusting. We'll preview it later this week. But the point is, we predicted some of this to happen. And my group, the stuff I send to my clients, like I've included a couple last week, we, mo- we money line parlayed a couple favorites. This week, we teased down a couple favorites to inside of a field goal. And in both cases, Everything came home with ease, like all the stuff came home with ease. So we've been ahead of that as well from a betting perspective. Um, We've been ahead of it from discussing it on this show. And that's why you guys are listening. You guys hopefully are taking notes and getting ahead of it as well. How about the overs? What do you make of the overs hitting at a very high rate yesterday? Yep. So we saw overs for the first time since week five. This has been an unders year. As I mentioned before, my... Computer model stuff was 20 wins and four losses. Absolutely absurd. Like, this is the best season by far we have ever done. Swept the board in all betting picks, uh, not this past week, but two weeks ago, right? And then this past week, went five and one on betting picks to clients over at Chart Football Analysis. Just an absurd run over the last month. Been killing it in everything, not just the computer totals. And... One of the things that we were on this week was a little bit more overs. Um, Took the over in the first half in the Bills-Bucks game and talked about it, gave it out on the show. Uh, Obviously, you got a better number if you were a client, but gave it out on the show on Friday with with House. Uh, Took took the Bucks team total over in that one as well. Um, 
I'm trying to think the other totals that we were, oh, over in the first half in the Ravens-Browns game as well. So we 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 have been ahead of this curve as well. We historically have been betting more unders this year, more than any year that we've ever bet in the past. The, the whole key with betting, and I've said this before, it's important for all you guys, a lot of new sports bettors out there that are getting into this thing. Obviously, you're going to have a big edge when you listen to a show like ours, this this podcast here, because we're giving out stuff that actually wins. But when you're trying to handicap things on your own and think ahead uh, to like what games you want to bet each week, it's important to spend less time looking in the rearview mirror as to like what the results were that just happened and spend more time trying to anticipate the direction that things are headed and where things are going to go. Um, and so that's what we do as betters, um, as professional betters and the guys that I work with. We are anticipating what's coming up and we are getting ahead of the markets. Um, and so we were on this uh, prediction that we would see more overs this week than unders. Now, some of these games were lopsided blowouts, you know, and barely got there, like the Broncos over the Lions, right? The Lions didn't hold up their end of the bargain. The Texans against the Seahawks, the Texans didn't really hold up their end of the bargain. So you needed some of those favorites to score a little bit extra. Like the Seahawks put in 14 in the fourth quarter. They didn't need to do that, but that's what helped get that game over the total. Well, uh, and it's obviously a cat and mouse game that they're doing with the with the bookmakers. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder when you talk about groups like yours, that's on unders over and over and over again. Well, finally, they're going to start lowering these numbers. Right. Especially if you're winning, like you don't see you're saying your computer models winning and you guys are putting out unders on a regular basis. At some point, these books are going to be like, you know what the hell with this? We're just going to lower these numbers. We're going to make them a little bit lower than what we think they should be now. And that's why I say the cat and mouse game. That's obviously when you guys could come in and now you start banging the overs and you know, at some point it's going to, at some point they're going to try to find like a happy medium. Um, but until groups like yours starts losing, when, when, the, when the, that's look, not going to happen. That I can assure a, you that won't happen. But I'll tell you, but I'll tell you this, Warren, there ain't a book in the world that doesn't know your picks the second they come out. Yeah. I mean, there's been times where, House and I will be texting and he'll be like, yo, did you see Warren just put out so-and-so? And 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 I'll have like been on the air or something. And so I can't do anything with it. And then 30 minutes later, I'll check. And they've already like just slammed that line. Like, you know, I mean it, whatever Bro, he we, said, we, we say we were we are yes, you're right. We released two this morning. Okay, we're recording this Monday morning. I'm not gonna share the games on here, but we released two. And one of them's already moved over by two points. Uh, I fuck, I gave out uh, the fact that it's an over. So somebody was probably going to be able to figure out what that game was. Um, but yeah, another <laughs> another one's moved by a point. Like we 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 that that's standard for us, and we aren't going to lose. We the benefit that we have is we get to pick and choose what games we want to hit or not hit. We get the benefit when we want to bet them. Right? We've got major benefits from those two perspectives. The books have to post their numbers and they have to have them up Sunday night and they have to have them active on Monday morning. Now there's a game or two that maybe is not lined at a particular book, but for the by and large, they have to keep their numbers out all week long and they have to have them out there uh, early in the week. 
we can pick and choose when we want to bet something and which game we want to bet. And so for that reason, and because our models and our analysis, we can laser beam focus in, we win every single year with this stuff on the, on the totals. We are not going to lose. But the fact of the matter is, you're absolutely right. You know, there is over adjustments. And I just want to, I just want to share, like, we'll dig into this game momentarily, but like, I think that there was over adjustment when they were factoring in like this Bills Patriots game the other week that was in prime time where oh my god these offenses can't score and what's the what's the talking point that came out of the Patriots game biggest talking point there's no trust in Mac Jones the Patriots just want to run the ball they don't trust him to throw it this is a run first team and and they, they don't trust their quarterback that's what came out of that game like, oh, this, this team's barely going to get by some of these games. And, and, the, and the Bills is like, oh, well, these guys, they can't do anything either. And, you know, obviously, I like the Bucks in this game. I, I from, a, from a spread perspective, I didn't bet the spread, but I did take the Bucks team total over. Um, but I like the Bucks. I thought that they would have the better chance of getting out and scoring early in this game. We took over 16 and a half in the first half of that game. Sorry. Over 13 and a half in the first half of that game. They obviously scored 24 um, for the Bucs team total in the first half. I mean, we're betting derivative markets. We're betting first halves. We're betting full games. So, uh, but that game, that game was a lot of fun. I don't know if you want to start there, but lead us how you want, Chris. We will. But before we do that, I have to ask you a question that my buddy asked me this weekend. You do not have to tell us the number, especially I'd imagine you'd be rather uncomfortable doing that. But he did ask me, he said, you have to ask Warren, what is the biggest bet he's ever made? <laughs> yeah. The game, yeah. the game, the actual game. The specific game or the actual yeah, size the of the game, bet? The game that you had the most action on ever. Oh, man. Um, it's hard to say. You know, uh, I don't want to get myself into trouble, so I don't really want to answer that. I'd rather answer that off off the air. But there's there's a way that there's a way that we bet these things, um, such that like uh, with with the group now there has been some slight changes. But for the most part, like historically, the way that it's gone is you know I'm the I'm the data guy. I'm the numbers guy. I'm the guy coming up with the stuff that we want to bet. Um, and then we've got other people who actually are the quote-unquote betters, the guys that are running around or the guys that are getting down on the game. There's a division of power because there's a whole game to getting the best number, right? There's a game to coming up with the, the games to go on, and then there's a game to actually getting the best number. And my expertise, what I've done for years, has been coming up with the games to bet. And there's other guys who have been doing this for decades, getting down on games as quickly as possible, simultaneously as possible, a variety of different books of um, being able to do so in some cases so that the screen won't move. So you're betting at a couple different spots off the screen at slightly earlier times so that you can go on the screen later and the whole marketplace will move. Um, uh, it's, you know what, man? I am glad you are. I'm glad you just explained that because it's it's a different skill set. It is. Yeah. We talk about it when we talk about like some guys can be the coach and the GM and some guys can't, right? Like it's a different skill set. Some can be good simultaneously at both, but you have your role within the way this thing works. Like I'm I'm just the guy that gives you the games. 
You guys go and mess around with the numbers, but try to get this number or try to get close to this number, right? But yeah, like, exactly. I'm not, and, and and that's that's how it's worked for years. Now, like I said, there's been a slight slight tweaks this year, but it's still operating like that. And then you know, I get I get stuff obviously for everything that we we win, and um, so I get my cut, so to speak. But yeah, let's gotcha. let's um, it's it's a it's a complicated process when you're doing this professionally. Um, you are working with other professionals. Like you're not working with novices and you're not just sitting here on, I, on an island doing everything by yourself. And so it's absolutely been to all of our, um, we have made substantially more, let me just put it this way. We have made substantially more money operating like this than if I was trying to do everything myself. Get the outs, bet the games, get the right numbers while coming up with games like and and trying to get down the volume like it's it's it it would be impossible for me to make as much money if I was do, trying to build bring all those operations under one roof understood there was not a plethora of wildly entertaining games yesterday but let's start with that afternoon slate which was a bonanza for anybody that had red zone so i i just decided i'm not flipping back and forth. I'm not going to be running into both rooms. Um, my son and I were watching it on one TV, so I flipped on Red Zone so that they could do the toggle back and forth between the end of this Bengals 49ers game, which then is going to overtime after Robbie Gould misses, and the Bucks bills game after the Bills come down and end up kicking a field goal and, and go to overtime in that game. Um, which one do you want to hit first? Let's start Bucks Bills, because I know you were pissed off about some of these non-calls. Yeah, it was. Um, look, the Bucks were grabbing the shit out of the Bills for much of the game. And, you know, that guy was grabbing digs every single play. Every, every single play. play. I'm trying I'm trying to figure out the right way to put it. Um, let's just say that there's different when you watch it on TV. Um, there's different things that you notice than if you're watching it in person. And so like, there were some questions asked of me, like, how did it look on TV? Right. And, and so, um, I gave my response to the person that I was talking to, uh, about it. And obviously they see different things when they're watching it in person, but watching it on TV, uh, it absolutely looked like this guy was grabbing all the time. And what's frustrating is like, you don't expect the refs necessarily, and this is why, like, I do think defenses, um, you know, should be doing that more. Should be trying to grab all the time um, because the refs probably won't call every single one of them, and that's what we tend to see in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl, those types of games where there is a little bit more hand fighting and grabbing. Hey, hey, but- hey! Tell, uh, tell the Hockley guy on Thanksgiving. Oh, fu- yeah, fuck <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but what I will say is this that. The most egregious ones have to be called. I mean, when you see the dude grabbing the shirt of Diggs, like as he's running down the field and the shirt is stretching in the middle of the field, it's a white shirt the dude Diggs is wearing. (laughs) You should be able to see white being pulled out. It's not like it's a black shirt with a guy wearing a black glove. It's like you can't see it at night or something. This is clear as day. This is happening. It shows you the ref isn't paying attention or he's taking a super long blink, or he's turning the other direction to start running down the field uh, because it was a deep shot and he wasn't like had his head on a swivel to see what the fuck was going on here. These are some egregious mistakes that the refs, uh, again, talking to a different GM, 
this has been the single worst year that many teams have viewed the officials in the league. The single worst year that they can remember. So, well, in that one, that one continued. you could argue it it did decide a game. In, I mean, it was a third and third and three or third four and two, or whatever. Third, third and two. two. Yeah, the Diggs it's a one third in the and corner. two. The, the one he throws to Diggs, like the little fade, where he's got kind of single coverage on the outside. I mean, I think nine times out of 10, that's called pass interference. The guy's not really turned around. I mean, it's a, it's and, and a my tough opi- yes. no call. My, my opinion on these types of calls, I know others would disagree. That's fine. This is a judgment thing, but I've watched a lot of ball. My opinion is you call it the same way, whether it's early or late. You can't just swallow your whistle. I can understand on a Hail Mary, right? That's different. I, I understand that it rarely gets called on that. I don't care if it's early or late in a game. If there's a foul, you call the foul. That's what my issue is with refs all the time. Is 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 refs all the time like the just if it's a foul, call it. Okay, the the rules are the rules, right? Like don't try to change the rules by your calls on the field. You don't like this rule, or this gets called too much, or the league wants to emphasize this or de-emphasize this and shit like that. Like call it by the rules and be consistent the full sixty minutes. And the rest of us at home won't bitch and moan about the refereeing as much, right? But when you call things too much or too little or then a little bit here, but not there, like that's when we take issue with it. Be consistent. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, so I do need to ask you, because this is going to apply to another game later, which was the Dallas-Washington game, which was... These teams, they get up big. Long ago, I had a coach say to me, he said, um, once your guys turn it off, it's almost impossible for, to get them to turn it back on. And in many cases, when you see a team run out to a big lead and they're like, all right, we got this thing in the bag. And then they start to coast the rest of the way. Some crazy stuff could start happening to them. And next thing you know, you're in a game. And so how much of it do you think was big adjustments made by the Bills? Bills, uh, you know, really showed a lot of heart and toughness or whatever you want to, uh, you know, talk about. And how much of it was the Bucks had the game in hand and let up, let off the gas. Uh, you know, I don't want to say turned it off, but certainly turned it down. And then that requisite amount of energy and focus and all the things that you have in order to get that big lead that once, once you cool out and once you turn it off, now it's really hard to get it to crank it back on it. And many times you can't crank it back on. Um, so what do you make of it? Do you think that said, do, do you think it was the Bucks just stopped um, and the game was in hand? Or do you think that that was, it was a bad start for the Bills and we probably saw 
more of what it should have been like in the second half? What do you think? There's always a little bit of both with it. Um, Let's start on the Bills' side of the ball. The Bills didn't have a three and out once in the entire game. Um, The Bucs had multiple three and outs. They had three and out to start the game. They had two three and outs to end the uh, first half. They had a three and out. It was actually a four and out to come out at the start of the third quarter. Um, So, like, the Bills' offense was never just, like, up total shit. But the problem was they weren't clicking on the right cylinders. They were missing things. They were making too many mistakes early in that game that only allowed them to have one drive that was longer than 21 yards. Um, And that was a drive that, unfortunately, they settled for a field goal at the Tampa Bay 3, which, I mean, let's just face it. I, I don't get Sean McDermott far too often in some of these big games. You can't be, you're going up against Tom Brady on the road. You can't be kicking field goals against Tom Brady on the road from the three-yard line, okay? You just can't do it. It can't happen. The same exact thing happened at the beginning of the Kansas City Chiefs playoff game in the AFC Championship. And it's like, did we learn our lesson here? Nope, it does not look like we did because we're still settling for field goals. Field goals at the three-yard line, generally speaking, are not gonna beat Tom Brady on the road. You also have a punt in the third quarter of that game uh, with approximately 17 minutes left in the game. Fourth and three near midfield. You are down 14 points. You are on the road and you are playing Tom Brady. You cannot be punting the ball on fourth and three near midfield down 14 with 17 minutes left in the game. You just can't do it. So those were a couple of instances that Sean McDermott still has shown that he does not have, I don't know if it's the stones or just the proper decision-making, the requisite judgment to make those decisions and execute those fourth downs properly. Um, I do think the Bills made some adjustments in that second half. They obviously played more aggressive. They played more intelligently. They had a little bit of time to think about what was working and what was not working, how much pressure you were getting from uh, the pass rush of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's also an element, of course, of Tampa Bay up big, was it 24 to three, I think at halftime, up big at the half and into the third quarter of just realizing that you have two opponents that you're playing against. The the clock who's on your side and the Bills who you're playing against. And at some point, it's better to just chew up a little bit of clock and hope you convert can convert on a third down than it is to play like you were in the first quarter. And so that's I why will the say, Bucks slowed down. I, I, it did not work out for them. Obviously, they're getting their ass kicked by halftime. But I did respect the Bills because we've seen so many teams that have come out. They just said to hell with it. And they didn't hand the ball off. I don't think one time, like they just said, you know what? It's Vita Via, it's Tomic and Sue, it's all these guys. Like there, there, there's some of these teams that do come out and they're like, yeah, we know they have the best rushing offense, but we're still, we can't just abandon the run completely. We're still going to try to run the ball. And then they run the ball for like two yard losses. They have like second and nine every time or second and 11. And it, you can't run the ball against them when they've got those monsters up front and they got Devin white who could chase down anybody running sideline to sidelines and others. Um, you can't throw the ball on them. I mean, at one point they had Richard Sherman, I believe playing safety yesterday, <laughs> which was quite bizarre. Um, you can't throw it on them, but you can't run. And the bills look again, you could say like they, uh, their strategy didn't work out all that well. Cause they're, 
they're getting killed, but I don't think it was because of their strategy that they were getting killed. I actually let me let me let me rant on that. Let me let me rant on that. I took some sips of water because I got a lot of thought process on this, a lot of vitriol to impose upon you guys who are listening. So sit back for a second. There are a lot of people, obviously, these hot take artists and stuff on Twitter who want to, and, and especially the old school football guys, right? Who want to get out. Well, why weren't you running the ball more? You needed to run more. You need to have a little bit of balance, all this type of stuff. Let me just, let me just share this note. Okay. The Patriots and the Bills just played on Monday night football. The Bills tried to run the football in that game against the Patriots. Devin Singletary averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Matt Breida averaged 3.0 yards per carry. Zach Moss averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Combined, those three guys ran the ball 19 times and didn't do dick. (laughs) Now you've got this game that you're going up against, and I don't think people realize this, but we shared this information with you last week on The Gambling Show on Friday, maybe on Wednesday, but definitely by Friday. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the NFL's number one defense against running backs in the first half of games. It does not matter what your offense is, who you are, who your back is, what your offensive line looks like. You can't run the ball on them in the first half of games. They don't give up shit. Look at what happened to Jonathan Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts. Look at what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles rushing attack. When you try to run the football even a little bit in the first half of that game, your backs aren't going to do shit in that spot. What the Bucs end up doing is when they are leading in these games, most of the time it's in the fourth quarter, they play the pass. They overplay the pass because they don't want you gashing them for a 40-yard deep shot and, and, and changing the swing of the game or adding points real quickly. So they overplay the pass and you don't have to like think, oh, well, it was Warren speculating on this. Bruce Arians came out and said the very same point when the Colts had some run, rushing success in the fourth quarter. He said, we we play the pass in the fourth quarter when we're up big. And so that leaves opportunities for backs to have a little bit more success in those spots. And so all the Monday morning quarterbacks and the pro-run lifers come back on Monday after the game, or in this case, now that you know it's not just read the newspaper and get the news, but it's like we can see on Twitter real-time reaction. These guys come back, oh, look at their rushing. They had some success when their backs ran the football. Guess what? They said it after the Eagles game with Miles Sanders. Guess what? They said it after the Colts game with Jonathan Taylor. And guess what? They said it after this game too with Devin Singletary. Oh my gosh, look at some of the rushing success. That would not have worked in the first half of the game. Did you really want the Buffalo Bills to go there with a running back rushing attack that had no success on the season running the football? They're one of the worst running back rushing teams in the NFL this year. Did you want them to go up against the number one run D and actually try to run the football? Or, or, let me ask you this question. How happy were you that the Buffalo Bills on the day from a rushing perspective gained 173 yards on 19 carries. Do you know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the better rushing attacks in the league, the most efficient rushing attacks in the league, you know how many yards they had on the ground despite leading the entire game, Chris? They had 137 rushing yards on the day. The Bills had 173, significantly more. Buffalo averaged 9.1 yards per carry. You know how they were doing that? 
because they ran the ball intelligently at the right times to run the football. Not after they were getting their down. ass kicked. <laughs> no, they ran with Josh Allen. They ran yeah. the ball with Josh Allen and they ran the ball when they needed to with Josh Allen. The the issues with the Bills in terms of while well, their offense wasn't that productive, that they it would let me just put it this way. It would not have been any better if they handed the ball off and ran it in the first half. That's that how. That's what people. Reason. I. I. Yeah, that's what people. That, that's what sometimes it's hard for people to grasp. That yeah, if that's you, not the reason. Everybody's getting these rushing stats later in the game against the Bucks for the very reasons that you chronicled, and then inevitably people come out afterwards like that. That Indianapolis game stands out too. The Jonathan Taylor one, right, where he's got these numbers. It's like, well, geez, if you'd have just done that from the start, the point is you can't. Like at some point, everybody's got to realize this is a trend. Once they start jumping you, then they stop loading up against you. They stop. Uh, they, they start focusing on dropping back and not letting you throw the ball all over them. And then you do have the opportunity to have some sex success running the ball. But just watch the beginning of these games when anybody tries to run. I mean, you know, you're in a you're in a firing line against that team. I would like, you know what? We need to do this at some point. And maybe as, as the season goes on, I promise I'm going to look it up. First half rushing versus second half rushing against that team. I bet it's ridiculous. Yeah, I can, I can easily show. I just, oh, I, well, here, look, let me just tell you this. This was the stats that I looked up up until the start of this game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the first three quarters, two running back runs are number one in the NFL. They have the single best run defense in the entire NFL. I'll pull up my report here. Hold it. Bear with me. On early downs in the first three quarters to running back runs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense allows 3.9 yards per carry, a 41% success rate, and minus 0.17 EPA per rushing attempt. That is number one in the NFL. In the fourth quarter, Chris, in the fourth quarter, they allow 4.8 yards per carry, 49% success, and plus 0.08 EPA per attempt to early down running back runs. You know where that ranks? Dead last in the NFL. They are the best run defense against running back runs the first three quarters and the single worst running back uh, run defense against running back runs in the fourth mm. quarter of games. They want you to run. They're up big. Don't sit here and tell me that because Devin Singletary gained 52 rushing yards on four attempts in that game at 13 yards per carry, that if they tried to run him on early downs in the first quarter of that game with any type of frequency that he would have had anywhere close to that success. You're insane if that's what you believe. This team was down 24 to 3 when they busted out an occasional run <laughs> against this light box when the Bucks were playing the pass in the third quarter. That's not going to happen in the first quarter when the game is tied 0 to 0. And I just think people fail to grasp that, um, but that's exactly the way the stats show it and the coaches say it themselves. And Frank Reich came out and admitted as much after the game against the uh, Bucks a couple of weeks ago. And Bruce Arians came out and said the same thing. So you don't have to even listen to me. You don't have to look at the stats. You can just listen to the coaches right out their mouths. 
you can't run on these guys at the beginning of games. You're going to end up passing the ball, but you can on the in the fourth quarter, and that's because they give up the run at that point in time. And I think there's, last point on this game, Chris, there's a misconception uh, a little bit about me. I've said this before about some of the people in analytics. If runs were gaining 10 yards a carry, eight yards a carry, I wouldn't be as much like pro pass, but I'm pro pass in general because it's more efficient. I'm pro efficiency. I'm not pro pass or run. I want you to do whatever you do best in this particular game against that defense that's going to give you the most success. And in this particular game, running Josh Allen in the first half and having the success that they did on the ground with Josh Allen running the ball was going to give you more success than running a running back. Could you have sprinkled in one or two running back runs in the first half so that you didn't have zero at halftime and so that you could at least say, well, we tried a little bit? Yes, you could have if you wanted to. Would it have made that big of a difference in that score at halftime? No, I do not think that it would have. So there you go. It's interesting because uh, when you were were bringing up the Singletary thing, there's two names that came to my mind. You would always be watching uh, for any long-term NFL observer, there would be these afternoon games with these West Coast teams that weren't any good. And there were two guys in particular. When you said that about Devin Singletary and like having these big runs, I, for like a couple of years, every time I'd be watching these teams late in the afternoon, they're getting their ass kicked. And there was two guys in particular that, you know, I'm, I'm flipping on to watch the end of the games. And I'd be like, why is this guy not like some kind of NFL superstar? Because that's when they would feast. And it was Philip Lindsay. It's always Philip <laughs> right. Lindsay. Every time he's always on some shitty ass team and he's running, he's got 65 yards in the fourth quarter. And the other one who's actually on a good team now is Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds was always like, you turn on the game. He has, he's done nothing the whole game. And then he's got 75 yards in the fourth quarter because his team's down by three touchdowns. And you're like, why is this guy not like a number one back, like putting up 300 yards every game? But it just speaks to teams want you to run the ball. They want you to, you know, they figure, A, you're not going to get as many yards. You're not going to gash us for 30 or 40 yards. But those guys, that's what they kind of specialize in. Um, and the other thing is they want the, the clock to burn. So that one overtime game was the Bucks bills. We spent a lot of time on that. How about the other one, which was the Bengals 49ers a few weeks ago. I said to you, Warren, I was looking up all these odds and the 49ers do not have a good record. And yet they're like minus 220 or something. It was something crazy. I think it was 220 to make the playoffs. And You pulled up their schedule and you were like, well, here's why. And sure enough, now, obviously, they're in a very good position to possibly be a playoff team. Probably going to be at least, uh, probably going to be three teams uh, from the West. Certainly, the Cardinals are going to be there. You figure the Rams are going to be there. And probably the 49ers are going to be able to get there. Um, It was a really good win. My God, Kittle. Holy crap. Yeah. The catch he made. Robbie Gould effed that up, but holy mackerel. Like the catch he made and the catches he made down the stretch for them were just absolutely incredible. Almost blew it. Jimmy G almost throws that pick six. Man, did he he uh 
he got lucky on that one. But Bengals kind of uh, fall apart, then come back. Uh, you know, they get the unbelievable chase touchdown. Uh, get the thing to overtime. Then get the field goal. Very, very rare. Does this ever happen where a team gets the field goal and then the other team gets the ball and goes and scores a touchdown for a walk-off win? I feel like I never see that scenario of overtimes. I feel like I'm more likely to watch a damn tie. Oh, well, that's what got that game over the total, right? Like, if you don't have two scores in overtime, and one of them being obviously a touchdown, the game not ending uh, with just two field goals and and just games tying, um, you'll never see that. So not, nine points is the absolute most you can get, and they needed the full nine points to, what was it, land 49, uh, which got people the over. I think a lot of people who bet that game late pushed earlier in the week. It was lower than uh, than 49. Um, look, what did we say on the Friday show? This was one of the big games that we broke down. Th- this Bengals team actually has a pretty good defense, and they're really good against the run. And so it's going to be difficult to run the ball against these guys. And I was curious to see, uh, because the Bengals rank uh, number 11 against the run. They're worse against the pass. They just did really well the prior week um, against Austin Eckler and the Chargers at holding them and limiting them in their rushing attack. So what's the strategy that Kyle Shannon is going to come out here with? Because Jimmy G had thrown two interceptions the prior week uh, for the 49ers. And we're curious, you know, like how optimal is he going to play this game? They came out and they're again without Elijah Mitchell. That he he was lost for this game. Now I think he's going to be back next week, most likely. So you're going to have a better rushing attack. But Jeff Wilson only gains 4.3 yards per carry on the ground. This game has to be won by Jimmy G through the air, uh, with the lone exception of that great Debo Samuel 27-yard touchdown run down the uh, right sideline. But Jimmy G in the wind. It was a little bit windy there. Came out and delivered. Cold and windy conditions. The guy almost throws for 300 yards yet again, second straight week, uh, two touchdowns, was under constant pressure from a very good, I'm, I'm telling you guys, like the Bengals defense is not bad. The Bengals defense has a good pass rush. It's got a good run defense. They sacked Jimmy G five times. He still throws two touchdowns. Um, he doesn't have like the most ridiculous statistical day. He is sort of Man, reminding he me got though, some. He got some big time help, Warren. He did the get some Jennings, big time help, but what the he's Jennings doing, kid made a crazy ass catch. Kittle made some unbelievable catches. Yeah, Kittle, Kittle, that key conversion down there late um, the, to, to get the game tying uh, the, the field goal there. Um, this, this, uh, he averaged 5.1 completion percentage above expectation. His intended air yards was 7.8, which was above average. Um, and they were pushing the ball a little bit down the field. I was overall not disappointed in what Jimmy G did. And I'll just tell you this, like barring the couple of interceptions that he threw in last week's game, like his performance right now sort of reminds me a little bit of what he was doing in the run of the Super Bowl. Right, like this team can be explosive when passing through the air, but they didn't really pass the ball as much. Um, I just got to say, I don't have the. Do I have the snap counts here? I'm going to try to see if I've got the snap counts. Well, not yeah. to mention oh. on the other side, while their secondary's not good, the the 49ers, Bosa is just, I mean, bona fide game changer, wreck your offense, wreck your drive player. Really, like, I mean, you're 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 feeling good. It's second and two. Next thing you know, it's second and. It's third and 13 or whatever, because this guy's chucked your quarterback back 11 yards. 
Yeah, no, he 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 is. One one last point on the offense. Debo Samuel only had a 77% snap count, right? They were returning him. They weren't even sure if he was going to be back healthy. He, he with his groin injury, he was lucky to be able to play in that game after not practicing as much during the week. He plays 77%. Like, if you look at Kittle and Ayuk, these guys are playing like 94 to 96% of the snaps. So Samuel, mm. much lower than that. And then even some of the plays that he was out there, he was more of like a, a, a disguise, like a distraction. Um because he yep. only had eight rushing attempts and was only targeted once in the passing game. They wanted to ease him in a little bit, and they were still able to escape with the win without using Debo like they normally would and without their number one running back in Elijah Mitchell against a very good run defense. Now you're talking about the 49ers this week are going back home and playing the Atlanta Falcons. And I can guarantee you that Debo Samuel is going to be healthier for this game. And you're going up against a much worse defense in the Atlanta Falcons than you were going up against the Cincinnati Bengals on the road, in the wind, in difficult environment, in the cold. Like, I think this 49ers team absolutely can string together a few wins and start getting things going here. If you look at their upcoming schedule, uh, they play the Tennessee Titans after this game. Again, so they got the Atlanta Falcons. Then they play the Titans. Then they play the Texans. And they close the season with the game against the Rams. Um, and, and obviously, we know the game against the Rams is going to be tough. But guess what? Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. Talk about Aaron Rodgers owning the Bears. Kyle Shanahan has owned Sean McVay. He beat him 31 to 10 just a couple of weeks ago in prime time. So the 49ers, I mean, they won this game. They've now won four of their last five. Their lone loss was to the Seahawks, who, by the way, own the 49ers. Like that, that NFC West is a fun division because you definitely have teams that have edges over one another out there. Um, I think the 49ers, it's not uh, crazy to me to think that after going four and one over the last five, this team can't go four and oh to close the season, maybe three and one. Um, and that could be good enough, obviously, to land them in the postseason. Big game against the Falcons this week. Of course, you got to get this game at home, but I, I, I think. 49ers coming out here and scoring on these guys for sure. Anybody that's any good kills the Falcons. Go look. Yeah. Cowboys killed them. Patriots killed them. You can like, put, a, you can find put up points in bunches on these guys, especially the way, with Debo back to 100%, especially with the way that I think this defense is playing, maybe sets up a couple of short fields along the way. Uh, I absolutely think that the 49ers here, what are they favored by? Uh, Eight points. You know, I think that they should have some offensive success and, and score against those Falcons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed. 
my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right. uh, Speaking, you were talking about uh, Garoppolo and feeling good about him. I'm not feeling so good about Dak, Warren. Yeah, talk to me this game, was for you. In ha- this game was in hand, and next thing you know, you know they're, they're fighting for the cover. Thank God they blocked an extra point there at the end in order to get a cover. Um, now, there's part of me that says, again, much like when we talked about the Bucks, you're beating the crap out of somebody, you take your foot off the gas. There's another part of me that watches that and says, something's not right with him. Obviously, the Pollard injury is significant because Ezekiel Elliott hasn't been right in a month longer, and he was running great at the beginning of the season. So he's clearly playing through injury. And, you know, this was one of those games where I thought, man, is Dak okay? Like, he just does not look like himself. He will not run the ball. He won't take off and run. And get that, you know, and that's why a guy like him could be so dangerous. It's because when everything breaks down on third and seven, third and four, he just runs and gets it for you, right? Um, And there's so many throughout the league that do this. But he won't run the ball to save his life. And he's just off. Like, a lot of the throws, like, he was, the numbers were not impressive yesterday. Uh And so I give them a little bit of a pass simply because they were killing them. And so it's the way it goes. But on the other hand, a banged up uh, Prescott, a banged up Elliott, not really what I want to be seeing at this point in the season. I, I will say, in fairness, on the flip side, they are going to be able to win with defensive plays in a lot of games if they keep these guys healthy because that's the first time that they have had Gallimore and they have had Gregory and they have had Demarcus Lawrence. And when you allow Parsons to just run in space because you have to pay attention to those guys who justify, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of attention being paid to them, that is a danger, downright dangerous. <laughs> situation because he he can kill you when he's being blocked but in some of these cases yesterday he's an unblocked player because you're having to worry about Gregory and you're having to worry about Lawrence meanwhile you have Gallimore who on one play injured the center and Heineke (laughs) I've never seen a guy injure two people on one play I don't think they track that. I don't think they track that. No. I mean, I'm like, man, you take out two of the 11 guys in one play, and then you've got, obviously, on the back end, you've got, they should have had five picks. They got a bunch of ball hawks, right? Uh, It clearly digs. But in between Neil and in between uh, Anthony Brown could get you some, Kurs could get you some. They've got, I, I actually think 
you know, I feel so much better about their defense. I really do, despite the fact that they gave up some points late in that game. One of them was a pick six. So their defense didn't give up shit yesterday, really. Um, but the offense and just especially Dak and that running back core, it's not great. I hope that they can, I hope that what they could do is just they're they're big up in the east and they can pile up wins and then rest. You know, get the extra rest instead of playing a 17-week season because they just don't look healthy, those two guys, to me. To me. Yeah, a a couple of things. So, um, number one, absolutely, the numbers bear out the fact that Dak Prescott struggled. Uh, He had minus 12% completion rate below expectation or above expectation, so it was minus 12. Uh, That was the fourth worst in the league. And he was only aggressive in terms of throwing the ball into tight windows at a 12% clip. You know, most of the other guys who had their completion percentages well below expectation, like the top five, they're all throwing into tight windows at like a 20 to 30% clip. But Dak was down at like 12.8% and still was much worse than expected, which is concerning because you're going up against the Washington football team's secondary. Washington is a pass funnel defense. They have one of the best run defenses, above average, certainly top 10 metrically run defenses in the league, but they're bottom 10 against the pass. And so what the concern is, not only do you have a great O-line, not only do you have Dak, but you have like this stud receiving core. Everybody was up. Everybody was healthy. Amari's back, looking good, catches another touchdown, like playing well. And and yet you are 12% below expectation with that O-line with the, against this secondary that you should be able to pass the ball on. The runs late in the game, therefore, don't surprise me that they weren't all that efficient. You know, if you look at the first half of the game, Zeke did average 4.6 yards per carry. He didn't bust any big runs out, but he did average 4.6 yards per carry. Clement, no good, right? Clement averaged only 2.5 yards per carry on six attempts in the first half, but Zeke was better in that first half. They were down three defensive linemen, though, Warren, so I don't think that their their stats, uh, you know, like I know they're statistically outstanding. They still had, you know, Allen, but they were down guys. I think like three of their top rushers and ends were out and so it was a, it was a it was a good spot to be able to bully ball somebody on the line that they, they were just a shell of what and they don't have chase young anymore obviously i mean they right. don't and have so we, yeah and you're and you're speaking to my point yes that's a great uh layer of context to add to this discussion because dallas should have been able to do more both on the ground and particularly in the air when they're throwing the ball in this game they should have been able to do more yes you are going to let your foot up the, off the gas and when you're going up against a team that's really good against the run and you're up big and you just try to run the football a little bit you probably aren't going to have that much success um they need pollard Zeke does not have the burst or the explosiveness that he once had here. Uh, This team is going to, I believe, win games in the future uh, with their defense. They they got a ton of dudes there with their defense and their passing attack. Dak has got to be better. I don't see them winning a lot of games by being able to run the ball until you get Pollard back. Pollard offers that burst, that explosiveness, that ability to turn like a three-yard gain of uh, of Zeke's into, like if he hits it right, like a 15-yard gain. Um, But Zeke can do that too. He's just not going to do it quite as consistently anymore, in my opinion. You would know the Cowboys better than I would, but this obviously is still a team in really good position in the NFC East in terms of their strength and caliber. Um, upcoming schedule looks really interesting. Obviously, they've got the Giants um, 
and I don't know if if uh, you're talking another game with Glennon. Most likely, you probably are. Then you got a rematch against Washington again. Um, I think you know defensively. Let's just mention this. Fit this in here that. Taylor Heineke, boy, was he bad. He was averaging an intended air yards of 11 air yards and had an air yard differential of minus 5.2 in terms of what he was completing versus what he was attempting. And they uh, obviously, when you're down, you're going to be pushing the ball down the field more. But his completion percentage over expectation was minus 17.6%. Only Zach Wilson against the Saints defense was worse. It was just a bad game for Taylor Heineke. And of course, falling behind doesn't help. Um, you know, Dallas's yeah. defense is, is a bunch of grown men, that's for sure. All right, uh, a couple quick hits before we get out of here. Any thoughts, uh, any quick thoughts on uh, Ravens-Browns? That was the one where, uh, you know, the gambling public was like, what the F? How did the Browns not cover this game? This is ridiculous. It just speaks to uh, getting out early and betting at better numbers. I mean, you don't have to wait until Sunday morning and lay two and a half on the Cleveland Browns if you want to take them. I do know people. I, I think this is a misconception. I want to try to fit this in there too. There's a misconception that only the quote-unquote sharp guys come out and bet early in the week, and there's no value. The betting board is completely accurate on Sunday morning, and so no, none of the sharp guys are betting on Sunday. Like only you're you're foolish to bet into the market on Sunday. The the smart guys are going early in the week. Trust me, I bet a shitload of totals early in the week. I've been doing this for decades. I know what the fuck I'm doing. We do get out ahead of games early, but I can guarantee you, there's a shitload of sharp guys that are betting a shitload of money on Sunday mornings. So ditch that narrative that the betting market isn't beatable on a Sunday morning and that nobody bets on Sunday morning. I do know people that were betting Cleveland Browns money line on Sunday morning. They just know the right bets to make, the better bets to make, because once information gets confirmed and other information is known and injuries are announced, that absolutely does affect a team's ability to cover or not cover a spread. And I'm just telling you, it's not all about injuries. There's other things that you're waiting to confirm from the sports betting space on the back end. And I'm on the phone and working from like fucking Sunday when I wake up until 12.59 p.m. Eastern time on this stuff. I'm never not working except for when I joined JJ for like 10 minutes. Other than that, there's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of stuff that's being bet. So uh, yeah, you need to make the right bets and it would have been more ideal to bet the Browns earlier in the week than wait till the end. Yeah, they should have been able to get that cover for the poor folks who got two and a half and lost that game. Um, ATS. With the with the Chiefs, uh, 35 to three at half, 48 to nine. Um, are we ready to just discount their early struggles? No, I'm ready to say that the Raiders still stink offensively <laughs> and defensively. This was not a surprise. And, uh, you know, I, I relayed, Fair. actually, I don't think I relayed this, but we don't have time to now. Um, but I included it in an article Go, for next year. I want all you guys write this note, put it in your calendar app or something for next year. Derek Carr, when he plays the Chiefs, in Arrowhead later in the season. He's 0-6. Their offense averages like 11 points per game. I know a lot of people were like lining up some of the sharp guys. Should we take the Raiders here? Should we take the Raiders? This is a spot. I, I, I shared them these, these numbers and stuff. I, I've got a lot of analysis on this. They all backed off. They, none, of them, none of them wanted any part of the Raiders. Their car in this offense, they're, they're off the rails to begin with, but they're no good in Arrowhead late in the season. And any year since he's, played for the Raiders. So 
Now, I'm not willing to say that that is the thing that makes me believe in the Chiefs, but what I am willing to say is the Chiefs, their defense, their offense is playing better. Big game this upcoming Thursday night. Cannot wait to watch them take on the Chargers. We're going to be covering that more on Wednesday with Solak. All right, last thing. Big one tonight. Two teams that we talked about are probably going to be playoff teams. Cardinals, Rams. Um, And this division beats each other up. Uh, Cardinals, you know, they got their guys back after they were certainly able to be highly successful without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins. They got their guys back. The Hopkins-Ramsey matchup is always great. Um, There's part of me that thinks, don't overthink this. The Cardinals are at home. They're better than the Rams. And then there's another part of me that really worries and thinks, geez, man, if people overreacted to this Stafford thing and the Rams might just be a bad matchup for them, that's highly possible. I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really, I'm really going back and forth on this one. You got, you want to try to steer me some way? As well, you should. Just a couple quick points on this game. Number one, the sharp guys were all over the Rams as a big sharp side. They took them at three. Number two, I don't agree with that. Number three, I did not bet the Cardinals though. Like I have not bet anything on this game. I can just tell you thus far, they took the three lines back to two and a half. I'm not sure which way it's going to go from here. Um, I've been trying to like fade both of these teams. I don't know that I am massively buying on either of them, but I'll just say this right now. I'm a little bit more willing to turn a corner and buy the Cardinals than I am the Rams. But that being said, I don't know if that's going to be enough to get me to the window. Um, I've done nothing on this game. You're right to have the opinion that it's a difficult game to forecast. I absolutely agree at this point in the day. I might get better information closer to game time and want to act upon it. But as of right now, I've done nothing on this one. All right. Can't wait to hear you and Ben and you in house later in the week. I'll talk to you next week, Warren. That sounds great, Chris. And that'll do it. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back, as Chris mentioned, on Wednesday with Ben Solak for the Cheat Code Podcast. We're going to uncover some edges using film study and analytics. Love that show. Looking forward to it. Of course, thanks to Chris Vernon for joining me. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.